I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class. I've never even put anything in a quilt show. But I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm kind of an actually a sort of a tired quilter this week. It's been a long week. It's a very busy time for me at work, um, and I'm a little bit stressed, and I decided that what I really needed to do was sit and talk about quilting for a little bit. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, I'm going to start with another interview of a quilter like the rest of us, and this one is with Kathy, who is a member of my guild and will actually be in my car on Saturday, and I'll talk about that a little bit more later. It has been really interesting to me as I've been listening to these uh, interviews that I've done with women from my guild to hear every single one of them talk about what they feel they don't do well in quilting. And I just, every time I'm listening to that, I'm thinking about the quilts I've seen them bring to show and tell, and they're all just absolutely gorgeous. So, you know, I think it really is true. We are all our own worst critics, and I think we all enjoy quilting so much. There's so much we want to be able to do and do well uh, that we tend to, every time we look at our own work, we can only see those things we would have done differently. So that's just a little bit of a a pondering for a moment uh, as I'm going into this episode. And I just hope you really enjoy this conversation with Kathy, because I sure did. I'm Kathy. I live in western New York. Um, I've been quilting since 1992, and um, I'm still learning every day. (laughs) What first made you want to start quilting? What first drew you into it? Well, I never really had a want to learn how to quilt. Um, I had just gotten married and moved and um, I didn't know anybody in St. Louis and um, I saw an ad in the paper, a woman was making clothes for a battered um, like children, battered wife battered children's center and she was looking for donations of fabric for, um, to make pants or little outfits for the kids because when they leave they have nothing mm-hmm. so I called her up and I said you know I've got a lot of corduroy I've carried with me through many moves and I said you could use it more than I can so I'm going to bring it over well that started a conversation that lasted for over an hour and the next day she was at my door bringing me to a quilt meeting (laughs) and um, I didn't know anybody in the area so this was a real nice introduction to a big group of people and Fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not sure how this, that goes, I went to a meeting and they were having a quilt night where they were starting quilts for um, charity projects. And there's about 250 women in the basement of a church, and they're all like running around all over the place. I refer to it as organized chaos because <laughs> at the end of the night they had quilt tops done. Hmm. I mean, there are piles of fabric everywhere and everybody's laughing, having a good time. But to somebody who couldn't see what was going on, it was just... You just sit there and go, what are these people doing? (laughs) Well, at the end of the night, this one lady um, knew that I was new, so she gave me a sandwich bag full of squares. And she said, go home and play with these. (laughs) I played with those for weeks. I just put them in all different um, designs and decorations. And before you know it, that was how I got hooked. (laughs) The bug bit. (laughs) Hard. So did you start out coming out of um, clothes sewing and, and things like that, doing clothing or household, like home deck kind of things before? I um, 
I guess we grew up sewing clothes. Okay. And um, I never did a whole lot of it. It was more of a necessity thing mm -hmm. at that point. Um, I just graduated from college. I didn't have a work um, a work wardrobe. So. Mm -hmm. so you started making it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny. I always hated, hated, still hate sewing clothes, but I love quilting. Do you find that you feel different about one or the other, or are they? do they feel different to you, or does it feel like it's just an extension of the same thing? Oh, no. Clothes are such a chore because you have to fit them. Mm. Uh, quilts, it's just a whole different animal. You don't have to fit curves or anything like that, unless you choose to make a curved quilt. But <laughs> Right. Um, no, I much more enjoy the quilting aspect. Well, that makes me feel better. <laughs> it, what is your favorite type of quilt to make if you had to name one? Well, it's very rare that I make the same quilt twice, hmm. so I can't really say that I have a favorite. I like doing piecing. Um, I like chain piecing. I love to get the stuff cut out, ready to go, and just sit there and let her rip. <laughs> Pedal to the metal. <laughs> so you're probably more uh, uh, What's the word? More of a um, pieced rather than an applique. Oh, definitely. Type. Okay. okay. Although I, right now I'm working on an applique. Applique is <laughs> That just goes to show. Never believe us when we say, "Well, we really like one kind because we're all like crows flitting from one to the other," or butterflies. I think I prefer. Um, is there something you've always really wanted to learn and you just haven't had the chance to yet? How to make a perfect quilt? <laughs> no. Is, is that, that possible? <laughs> In my life, <laughs> I've always got something going wrong with it, or I mismatched the color. It looked great when I first had it, then I put it in a different lighting after it's already together, of course, and realize, <laughs> ew, that's the wrong shade. But you know, at that point, I'm not one to rip it all out and replace a binding because I think the binding looks terrible. I'll say, well, it, it'll do, it'll mm -hmm. do. I'm, I'm not an heirloom quilter. Mm -hmm. I don't feel I have reached that skill level. I'm more um, utilitarian. Um, I like doing like the charity quilts, and I like um, I like trying different techniques. That's that's why I said I haven't had I don't have a favorite one at this point really because there's just so much so many different things out there that I want to try, and um, anything new basically is what I want to try, <laughs> <laughs> and I want all the toys to go with it. <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm back. I want to start out first of all, as always, by saying thank you so much to everybody who subscribes to this podcast and who downloads it from the various places it's available. I really do appreciate that. The more the merrier, the more people that are listening, the more people that talk to me, and the more people that I can talk back to, which is always the fun part. I also want to say thank you to everybody who has left comments on the show notes and on my quiltingfortherestofus.blogspot.com blog, to everybody who has emailed and who has followed me on Twitter, and more importantly, those who have let me follow you back, because that's what I like to do. There are a few more friends who have joined us on the Facebook page, too, which, to be honest, I think I keep forgetting to even mention, <laughs> to tell the truth, I haven't even entirely figured out how to use the Facebook page yet, because I've got so much going on everywhere else. But if you are on Facebook, just look for Quilting for the Rest of Us, and tell us you like us. Then start some discussions in the discussion board. I've thrown a couple of questions up there to try to prompt a little bit of conversation going on, so join the party. And definitely invite all your friends to join the fun, too. They don't have to be a listener or even like podcasts or this podcast to join the Facebook page. We just want to talk about quilting. 
I also want to, again, say thank you to everybody who has left reviews or star ratings on iTunes. I do very much appreciate it. So keep visiting all those places and talking to me because, as I've mentioned, I work from home and sometimes it gets a little lonely here. So please do email me or leave comments or tweet me or whatever you want to do, however your favorite method of communication is. Go ahead and do it because I'm always happy to talk back. I do need to make a quick comment about um, my quilter.podbean.com site. Some of you may have noticed that there was a very unusual blog entry this week. There was a quick post that had some HTML coding in it, and it had a reference to Podcast Alley. I um, spent a little bit of time this week putting my podcast on a very a, f- a variety of different podcast aggregators or um, subscription sites, and for some reason, Podcast Alley has you post a thing on your blog so that it can pick up your feed. I don't know why it's the only one that did that, but I had to post something on as an actual blog entry for it to pick up my feed. I've now gone back in and deleted that entry, so I apologize to anybody that that confused. Um, And hopefully the fact that I've deleted it doesn't mean that Podcast Alley has now lost my feed. I don't know. That was kind of an odd little interface there. Most of them, you just fill in the information and you're good to go. That was the only one that asked me to do that. So again, I apologize, but it's cleaned up now. It's not there anymore. I did get a couple of comments on the podbean.com site, quilter.podbean.com, on the last episode, episode 13, in which we get classy. Nani commented that she wished students would test their machines before class so that they would know they were working, and that certainly is the case. Although I will say, as somebody who spends a lot of time using technology, there are times when I've got everything beautifully set up, and it works perfectly, and then when it comes time to actually use it, some little gremlin's gotten in there, and it just stops working. So I do understand, certainly sometimes you may think your machine's working until you get it to the classroom, and it doesn't. But you definitely... It does help to get to the class a few minutes early so you can just sort of get yourself set up and make sure everything's working well. Nani did also suggest that we not expect the teachers to fix our machines, and she did also ask that we not talk to each other or treat it like a social hour. However, Colleen then commented that she's only ever had positive experiences with other students in class. I'll have to say 99% of the time I agree with Colleen. But I do have to say I've been in one or two classes where it was really tough for me to concentrate because I was sitting right near a pair of friends who were, shall we say, just a little bit chatty during the teacher's explanations. Um, They probably thought they were whispering, but it was still, you know, whispering sometimes is not all that much better. So, you know, just be respectful. Make sure you have fun and you can chat away all you want during the working times. But some people have more difficulty following directions than others. And also there may be people with hearing issues, hearing problems, for whom even a whisper can really interfere with their ability to concentrate on what's going on with the teacher. Um, So, you know, just be respectful. And while the teacher has the floor, allow her to have the floor. And by the way, I want to give a big thanks to Nani for spreading the word about this podcast to her friends. Thank you so much. Woohoo! You get a shout out to everybody. If you do enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends. As I always say, the more listeners, the more people who will talk to me about quilting. And I am always into finding new people to talk about quilting. So share the wealth. I did also, after the last episode, I posted a a list in my Blogspot blog of recommended standard supplies and a little bit of extra information and links for supply bags or other ways to haul all of those supplies back and forth to class and retreats. A couple of people left comments there as well. Anna highly recommended the Patsy Thompson DVDs. Patsy Thompson of Patsy Thompson Designs, and I'll post a, a link to her website on the show notes to this episode. 
She's put out several machine quilting DVDs, and one set is entitled Fast and Free. There's something like, I don't know, three or four volumes. And those are kind of a general machine quilting training and machine quilting patterns. Okay, I apologize if you just heard my dogs go crazy. I'm not sure how much you can pick up in the background. I suppose it depends on where you're listening to this episode. Uh, But I've got two dogs, and one of them is sort of a nervous Nelly and barks at any squirrel or anything that goes through the backyard. Um, The other one's a golden retriever who just goes along for the fun of it. And so whenever she starts barking, he starts barking, even if he doesn't know what he's barking at. So um, I apologize if you just heard that. And now I'm going to try to get my train of thought back together. Okay, I was talking about the Patsy Thompson DVDs. Uh, the Fast and Free series, I do have the first one of that series, and it is a it is a great series. Um, those are very helpful to teach you some general machine quilting techniques and some machine quilting patterns that you can use. She does also have a second series available, Free Motion Fun with Feathers, and that also has several volumes in it. Um, I'm not familiar with those, but Anna says she likes them so much she admits to watching them when she's in bed at night and falls asleep to the whir of the sewing machine. Uh, So I guess maybe I can just get rid of my white noise machine and just pop in one of those DVDs and I'll be good to go. Marge also commented on the blog entry to remind all of you to put your name on any tools or sundry that you bring to classes or retreats because sure as tootin' someone else will have the same stuff. Oh, okay, well, sure as tootin' is my own addition, but I'm sure that Marge would have said that if she had wanted to. I also got a few emails this week. Not as many as I used to, so I'm just assuming people are out in their gardens, and I'm trying not to take it personally. Um, Maureen, to answer your question, the pattern name for my son's quilt is State of Grace from the book Strip Clubbing by Cozy Quilt Designs. I took a class for that. I didn't really have to. I just took the class to make sure I'd get the darn thing done. The pattern is really easy, and it was a lot of fun to do, although keeping it randomized was tricky. You know, random is sometimes, often, in fact, a lot harder to do than something that's actually planned out. I used a Moda jelly roll for that. I think it was named Autumn Joy, something like that, but it's probably not available anymore. That quilt is now a couple years old. I will tell you, however... If you decide to get that pattern, the pattern works up a whole lot larger than it suggests in the book. Um, In the class, we only did the throw size, and all I did was I added a slightly wider border, and it easily fits my son's full-sized bed. There's not a ton of drop on it, but it's really quite sufficient to cover that full-size bed. So, you know, really watch that when you're deciding what size you want to make, because it does make up pretty large. Um, If anyone else is wondering what the heck I'm talking about, you can check out the scrolling photo album on my quiltingfortherestofus.blogspot.com site, and you'll you'll see in there somewhere um, the bed quilt that I made for my son, Ben. That's the pattern that I'm talking about. Anna also emailed me to share a great resource she has found for quilting DVDs, ninepatchmedia.com, and again, I'll put that link in the show blog as well. Thank you, Anna, so much to give me another great way for me to spend more money. I checked it out. There are several there that are definitely hitting my wish list. Anna particularly recommends Sharon Peterson's DVDs. She says they're really good money value. Um, I did find a broken link on one of the DVDs. I've emailed the uh, store about it, and hopefully it'll be fixed before any of you hear this podcast and scoot over there to find it out. A couple of updates on the personal front on some of the stuff I've got going on. I did finally finish the binding on my pocket organizer that I'd done. Um, I think I posted a photo about that already in my blogspot.com blog a while back. It was mostly done. I just hadn't gotten the binding on it done yet. Uh, So I'm probably not going to bother to post another picture. 
it wasn't my favorite project of all times. I mean, it wasn't, it's nothing about the pattern. It wasn't hard to do. I just wasn't completely jazzed by the way it turned out. And I think after thinking about it for a while, I decided it was a value thing. I think it just didn't have quite enough contrast to really sit right with me. Um, but I had guild last night, my guild meeting. And as I w- we were doing show and tell and I held it up and I said, yeah, I'm not really sure I really like this, not really sure where I'm going to put it in the house because it's not something I think I really want to look at every day. And and uh, Jan, one of our guild members said, oh, I really like it. And so I gave it to her. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm just glad to know it's being used. Um, thrilled to get it done and thrilled to actually use up another charm pack. I've got several charm packs and I really need to just get using them. So if Jan is going to get good use out of that pocket organizer, more power to her. Um, just Jan, don't look really closely at my sewing skills on that because it wasn't by any means my best work. It was done quickly um, and really just with a purpose to get it done. Most of my time in the last week was spent working on the Creativity Challenge, and I'll be talking about that uh, for the rest of this episode, so I'm not going to go into that now. What do I have coming up? I am really excited, and this is, remember I said Cassie was going to be in my car this weekend. I'm going on a shop hop. There is a big Western New York quilt shop hop big event this weekend. I think it might start uh, tomorrow, which is Thursday as I'm recording this, and it goes through Sunday. And there's something like 13 or 14 stores that are all participating. And if you make it to every single store and you get your little passport thing stamped, then your name gets put in for all sorts of drawings of really wonderful, incredible prizes. Um, Plus, you pick up, I think it's you pick up some two and a half inch strips or some sort of fabric at each shop. And at the last shop that you visit, when you've completed your whole route, then you get the pattern that you can use all those fabric strips for, and you will actually have enough fabric strips by the end to to complete the pattern. Now, we don't have a hope in heck of actually getting to all those shops on Saturday. Uh, We're just going to hit as many as we can, and mostly focusing on the ones that are a little further away from us, because the ones that are close by are ones we can pick up on our own, maybe Thursday, maybe Friday, maybe Sunday, um, whatever. There's only like three or four shops that I don't think we're going to make it to. So I'm going to maybe try to hit one tomorrow, and then a couple more on Sunday, and I might actually be able to get them all done. Um, But I'm really excited because it's going to be me and Kathy and Lois and Kate and Sonia, and they've threatened me that we're not going to stop for bathroom breaks or to eat (laughs) at all on this event so that we can make it to all the shops. Um, I'm driving, so I think if I have to stop to to go to the bathroom, I'm stopping to go to the bathroom, and they all just have to wait for me. (laughs) So anyway, I'm really jazzed about that. I think it'll be a great time, good carload of people, um, and I'll give a report on it afterwards for my next episode. I also want to let you know, uh, my friend Janet, a different Jan from the one that was in my guild, this other Janet, sent me a link to something called the Patchwork Pattern Maker on the Victoria and Albert Museum of London website. Would that all our museums would be this quilty. This was pretty cool. I'm going to post the link for it on my um, blogspot.blog page because I also want to post some other information about it there. Uh, I'll upload a photo of what it turns out to be. I was messing around with it a little bit over my lunch break. It's a free service. Basically, what you do is you upload a photo. You click a couple of radio buttons to tell them how many colors, how complex the pattern you want it to be. And then it shows you the rep- the results. It'll give you the picture as sort of a, a template of here's you know where you need these different patches. And it then, when you go to print it out, it will give you, you know, you need this X number of patches in this color and X number of patches in that color. Um, 
and you can then print out the page to actually use as sort of your guide as you're putting this together. It's sort of uh, based on, uh, you, well, you can do any size square you want, but it's, you know, the way it's set up on the site, it's all two-inch squares or triangles, half-square triangles. So it would be a really complex piece to put together. Um, I haven't decided yet if that's something I actually want to tackle, but it was a lot of fun to play with. So I will put the link for that on the blog, and you can play with it as well. Now, as I've told you, I have still been working on trying to get everything under a single site, but for now, um, I still haven't found anything I'm really jazzed about, so I've just spent a little bit of time gussying up my Podbean site. So if you just can only remember one thing, just remember http colon slashy slashy quilter.podbean.com. If you can get yourself there, you will see widgets along the right-hand side that provide my blog feed, my Twitter feed, plus the subscribe button for Big Tent. My email address is is there. Everything's right there. So if you can't remember all these different things, just remember that quilter.podbean.com site for now. Um, I do own the domain www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. I just haven't decided where the best place to use it is yet. I'm getting there. I promise. Just hasn't happened yet. I do, however, have a new logo for the podcast, and I did work to make my Podbean site a little bit prettier, I think. The header image, if anybody's curious, on the Podbean site is a stack-and-slash batik quilt that I made for my niece. Or, rather, to be more accurate, I'm making for my niece. It's still a UFO. It will be finished by the end of the summer, if it kills me. I also want to announce that there is a new podcast in the world Quilter's Notebook launched this week. Actually, I think it launched last week, but it just showed up in iTunes this week. You can get to it on iTunes, so just uh, search for Quilter's Notebook. There's no apostrophe in the title. If you put one in like I did, it just confuses iTunes. I just downloaded my first episode a few minutes ago, so I can't report on it yet, but a few others that have listened to it have really seemed to like it, so definitely check it out. And welcome to the podcasting world, Amy. Okay, that's pretty much all of the background kind of introductory sort of stuff I have. So Pod Quilters, it is on for talking about having been creative. This is going to be a debriefing, shall we say, of the creativity challenge. And first of all, I want to give a huge, huge big shout out to the three people who chose to participate. Lynn, Francis, and Virginia. Woohoo to all of you. That would be three of those. Woohoo, woohoo, woohoo. Thank you so much. I really, really thoroughly enjoyed looking at your responses to the photo. It's just a wonderful thing to see the way different people respond to a photo. And that's why I keep calling these responses. Um, you know, I you could call them projects, you can call them submissions, but really everything that Lynn Francis and Virginia did was a response to the photo. And so I really enjoyed the fact that all of them did choose to take this on and did it beautifully. And I know I had said I was going to put the names of everybody who participated into a drawing and draw one to uh, win a charm pack, but you know what? I am so moved (laughs) by having done this for the first time. I'm sending all three of you something. So I will be in touch with you to get your mailing addresses so I can make sure I can send your little presents in the mail. Um, I just really enjoyed this. So thank you so much for participating. Y'all get presents. Isn't that fun? It's like Christmas. Now, I want to, I will be posting the photos of the responses in my blogspot.com blog. And the reason I do that rather than Podbean is um, Blogger just works better with photos than the Podbean site does. So it's just easier for me to put them all in the Blogger, um, the blogspot.com blog. 
So I'm going to go ahead and do that there. I will put a link to that blog directly in the show notes. So again, all you have to remember is quilter.podbean.com. But I do want to spend just a minute talking through briefly the photos that they shared. Um, First of all, Frances took hers and did sort of a really interesting um, linear thing with, with fabric, with different types of fabric. She really pulled out a lot of the contrast and the value of the colors of the photo, and she created the shadow as sort of a, a really interesting, the only word that comes to mind because I'm such a computer person is pixelated. It's it's not an even representation. It's not smooth. It's all in, in blocks and chunks. And it's really neat because it does kind of capture that really linear feel to the uh, photo. And she pulled out a lot of very different kinds of colors. There's some oranges and browns in there, which are definitely in the photo. But then she also went into the pink tones, which was really cool because I hadn't really seen that in the photo. But when you look at it, it really does have that sort of pinkish uh, value to it. And then she pulled out some real lights for some nice contrast. So uh, excellent job, uh, Francis. I really enjoyed looking at that. Um, I also liked uh, the machine quilting that you did on that to pull out, again, the linear values on the on the photo itself. And Lynn sent in her um, her response to it in some ways a little bit similar to Frances's, but in more ways very, very different. Her color use was very different. Uh, it felt much uh, more dark and rich and saturated. And her capture of the shadow figure was just one long piece that stretches up to the top of the um, of the piece that she did. And that really kind of creates this long upward movement to kind of counterbalance the um, vertical that's going on. I'm sorry, the, the horizontal that's going on in the rest of the piece. She then has this tall vertical um, that really stands prominently in there and balances everything out. And then in her machine quilting, she brought out, uh, I believe, at least this is what I'm seeing in there, Lynn, there is in the photo, there's some sort of watermarks that kind of go uh, vertically up the side of the of the barge. And I'm going to be talking about those watermarks a little bit when I get to my response to it. Um, and Lynn pulled those out in terms of her quilting patterns. And then she did her quilting patterns in the water where the water area was kind of brings out the swirls of the water as well. So that was a really interesting interpretation of the photo too. And then um, Virginia went a completely different path, which again was just so freaking cool. I just had so much fun watching what people were responding to in this photo. Um, what Virginia sent was really a pretty traditional block. And what she had done was she responded mostly to the colors of the original photo. She started out with the sort of lighter gold color that was on one far side of the photo. And then she worked with that to pull the rest of her photos. And I believe, um, I would have to double check her email, but I believe she said, and they look pretty much, most of these are batiks if I can see the photo. Not all of the fabrics are batiks, but most of them are. So it gets this really wonderful, um, almost translucent color to it. You know, for as opaque as a batik is, it still has sort of that stained glass window effect. You still feel like you're seeing light coming through from it somehow. Uh, You know, batiks are just cool. So anyway, Virginia's uh, response to this really did play off the colors 
Although I will say, in looking at Virginia's block, it also does play off the line of the the photo. The photo had some very clear diagonal lines going on, and her block pulls out the diagonal line. So I would say that was also part of the response. Um, Whether or not, Virginia, whether you intended that, I definitely see that in there. So thank you so much for all of your submissions. Now, I did send the three of them an email with some debriefing questions, asking a little bit more about their process, and... I told them when I would like to have the responses back so I could have them back in time to record this podcast. And then I threw them for a loop and I'm actually recording earlier than I told them I would because my schedule changed. So I don't have all of their responses yet. When I get them, I will also include those in the blog. So you'll get a little bit more background on what they did and and why they did it. So I want to talk a little bit now about my response to this. Um, And I'm doing this not at all to say this is the way you should approach this. On the contrary, my whole process in this creativity challenge was making every mistake it was possible to make. (laughs) But what I did was I just chose to live out the promise that in quilting there are no mistakes, simply design opportunities. Um, I ended up just making myself work with every mistake I made and trying to make it work. And it was it was actually a lot of fun to do that. I've discovered about myself, I live a whole lot of my life as a linear thinker. You know, my job relies on deadlines, my job relies on planning everything out and knowing exactly what steps I'm going to take to get to where I need to go and all that kind of thing. I have found that sometimes my favorite quilts are those which I don't plan ahead. (laughs) Those things that I just sort of let things fall as they may. I make one decision based on the results of the decision that happened just before. Um, And in all of that, I really do my best to turn off my inner critic. I just, I try to just approach it like play. And all that being said, I really thoroughly enjoyed the process. Throughout the process, I enjoyed how it was shaping up. But when it was done, I can't shake the feeling that there's something missing and I can't entirely figure out what it is but I'm also not going to ponder it too much nor am I really planning on going back and reworking anything because for me this was kind of an exercise in experimentation and for this particular project in this particular season it's really served its purpose I learned a tremendous amount from this exercise so I don't know that I'm inclined to go back and try to fix anything to make it more perfect or anything like that you know I just I'm not sure I'm mentally there um So I thoroughly enjoyed the process, not entirely sold on the final result, but, you know, I I had so much fun, I don't really care. (laughs) So I'm going to try to, I'm going to take a pot shot here at sort of walking through my process. And in it, I think there are some tips and things that if you ever decide to do these certain kinds of techniques or whatever, you might find something helpful in there. So my first step was to study the photo. And to really think through, you know, what was grabbing me? What was I reacting to in that photo? What did I really want to respond to? And I found, I've, I, and I've mentioned this as I was talking about Francis and Virginia's and Lynn's responses to this. I really saw in that photo an awful lot of repetition and the lines of the photo. Everything kind of going um diagonally and vertically and horizontally you know the repetition first of all if you look really closely at that photo you'll see those water splotches that I mentioned when I was talking about um, Lynn's response to this there are water splotches along the side of the barge that actually repeat almost exactly the shape of the shadow of the man it is really super cool I I didn't even know that when I took the picture frankly I didn't know what I was going to get when I took the picture I took about eight pictures of this barge going through this canal and we we literally were standing that close to it Um, I reached out and touched this thing at one point we were that close and so I was just taking pictures 
And it wasn't until after I was done that I saw that picture and saw everything that was going on in there. It was really wonderful. Um, I loved the repetition of the shape of the shadow, and I wanted to capture that somehow in my project. And repetition is a design element that's really central to quilt making. Most traditional, modern, contemporary quilts, they all rely on repetition to bring out their pattern, or especially to bring out their secondary designs. So even though you may not think of that as an artistic design element, it is. That's that's. All of quilt making is that repetition. The second thing I was really reacting to in that photo was line. There are really clear lines in that photo. Most are diagonal, but they actually flow against one another. The The line in the barge goes in one direction, and then the line in the water comes up almost directly perpendicular to it. And then you've got really what's an interruption in all this diagonal stuff going on of that vertical line of the shadow, um, which is then again repeated in the vertical lines of that rust-repeated shadow shape. So this whole photo is really driven by line. Um, I did also react to the color, but the color for me was really the least of the things in this photo that focused my design. Um, For Virginia, that was what struck her the most and what she chose to work with. So you see different people can really have very different artistic responses to the same stimulus. Um, If you pardon me using a few dollar words in there. Um, I did work with the color. I used my photo editing program to saturate the hues just a little bit more. Um, I didn't do a whole lot of changing to the photo. It's still pretty much the same, but I did do a little bit to it to bring out the photo, the colors as richly as I could. And then I chose to print the photo on a photo fabric in addition to the Luchador because the Luchador treated with the treatments I was using didn't really give me the color saturation I was looking for. So I ended up using Printed Treasures printable fabric, uh, which is my favorite one out of the ones I've tried so far, but that's a different podcast episode. So don't worry about that. That's neither here nor there. Um, But just to say, I did also address the issue of color by really working to try to get that that saturation. Um, But that really wasn't my primary thing. The primary thing I was looking at was the repetition and the line. So that was the first thing, is to study the photo, study that thing that you're taking your inspiration from, and and really try to assess what is it in that thing that you're reacting to. Is it the color? Is it the line? Is it repetition? Is it something else going on entirely? Okay, step two, I started playing. Um, And again, I did not plan ahead at all on this. When my sister came up for the weekend, what I mentioned in the last podcast episode, we treated several sheets of Luchador with different medium, and I printed the photo out on a sheet of untreated Luchador, one that was completely plain, as well as one that had been treated with gesso. And I really wasn't thrilled with how either of them turned out in and of themselves. But I did realize when I looked at them sitting next to each other, they looked pretty cool, juxtaposed against one another. There was, you know, you got the, the kind of um, shadowy of the plain untreated Luchador, and then the sort of washed out um, but much more texture involved in it of the gesso printed one so I just sort of put them aside however the other thing I noticed was that the shadow one the shadow that I I'm sorry the photo that I printed on the plain luchador and you could especially tell this by looking at the shadow the man's shadow came out a little bit smaller than the gesso print somehow my printer settings were off between the two so you know again a mistake. I I blew it on trying to print the same photo twice, but I just set them aside. I didn't think about that at that point. I just kind of plowed ahead. 
So the next thing I did was I printed that photo again on the printed treasures fabric to get the color saturation. I really loved it, but I realized once again my printer settings were off in the other direction this time and I had printed it much larger than the other prints. Um, it actually what I think it had done was it stretched the photo to fill the page so suddenly I had this really large version of the print on my hands so I set that one aside for a moment and I reprinted the photo a fourth time on the printed treasures again this time but I did it at the correct size so now I had four versions of the photo one was on printed treasures at about an 8 by 10 size one was on printed treasures much larger than that somewhat stretched one was on luchador and somewhat smaller than 8 by 10 very faded and shadowy um, then the one printed on Jessa was about a true 8 by 10 size but it was again kind of washed out so as I sat there and looked at them I decided rather than deciding between them I was just going to see if I could somehow use elements of all of them so I chose the correctly sized saturated printed treasures photo as the main background so that I could really work on that and you could really see the, the image itself. And then I just sliced the other three photos into randomly sized vertical slices. Um, just kind of went to town with my rotary cutter, which was kind of fun. And yes, I changed the blade after doing that because especially the gesso printed or gesso treated luchador very thick very heavy and i don't know what that would have done to my blade so i went ahead and it was an older blade anyway um went ahead and cut it and then switched out to a new one for work and fabric later as i started to play with the photos on my cutting table and the strips i decided i really needed to find a background fabric that would hold up to the photos but not overwhelm them and i really wanted to build sort of a texture thing going i i had I said that I'd reached out and touched that barge as it went by me, so I'd felt the rust on it, and I really wanted to capture the rust, uh, the the roughness of that rust. Um, now, I happen to have in my stash, not something I normally have, but it was perfect. Somebody at my quilt retreat had given me a piece of canvas fabric, that, uh, a kind of a beigey colored canvas fabric, to use potentially as a heavy interfacing for a project I'd planned to do at that point project still hasn't been done and I had plenty of the canvas I had plenty to do that project if I choose to do it so I ended up using a piece of that canvas fabric as the background fabric and it fit it was perfect it was the right color highlighted the photos blended in with them sort of at the same time and it also had that texture thing going with it it was probably the the best accidental find that I was happiest with of this whole project I mean it just really worked perfectly and it was so random that I even had it in my stash <laughs> that, that was kind of a cool step in the process too as I began to lay the photos out on the canvas I pulled out the two shadows the the smaller one and the larger one and I realized that I could really emphasize the diagonal line of the barge by using the smaller shadow at one end and the larger at the other and then I realized I could play with the contrast and value by using the gesso printed slices uh, spaced sort of asymmetrically across the main photo but then I flipped them so that the light end of those prints would sit against the dark part of the printed treasures um, fabric underneath it and vice versa and I played around with which size of slices I'd use I'd shuffle them back a little bit from side and side until looking at it just sort of felt right to me you know there was no math or science about this this was just my gut reaction you know even just shifting one an eighth of an inch one direction or the other it felt right or wrong you know so you just kind of lay it out until it feels right and then you leave it there um however at that point I realized okay I've got all this printed fabric going on I really like the layout I've got working here but it was really kind of a smooth surface and I really wanted even more texture to counterbalance that so 
I have a small box of embellishments. I've not done a lot of embellishing in my life, but I do have a few things that caught my eye at various events and picked them up. And I have some embellishment yarns that I have that I've used a little bit here and there. They were the ones that I used were in the, exactly the same color family as the photos, so I pulled some of those out and I laid them out in various um, combinations until I found a combination I like. And then again, I laid them I laid them out on the top of the project. I have not at this point attached anything to anything because I wanted to allow myself time to mull it over and move things around if I wanted to. Um, I think it probably sat for maybe a day or so at that point in a very visible place in my sewing room. So every time I walked into my office to sit down on my computer, I'd walk by it and I'd look at it and kind of think about it for a minute um, just to make sure I really liked that layout. And I did. I decided I really liked what I had working on, but it needed more color contrast and it needed some lines that would counterbalance all the other lines going on in the piece. Now, because the way I'd used the strips, I now had a whole lot of vertical going on and a fair amount of just slightly off horizontal. So I wanted something going on in another direction altogether, but nothing really drastic or distracted. And I also really wanted to keep within the industrial feel of the piece. You know, again, the, the whole texture and the mood of it. Um, metal and rust. I really wanted to hang on to that feeling. So I decided I was going to stitch these photo pieces down to the canvas and I decided I really wanted to use black thread and a really heavy black thread as I had on hand. I was trying not to have to go out and buy anything for this so I was really trying to work with what I already had in my sewing room. And I had a fairly thick, I think it's a hand quilting thread, um, but it's a really thick one. And at that moment, I had an epiphany and found that I was really pretty proud of myself because, you know, I haven't always paid a whole lot of attention to the relationship between thread and fabric and sewing machine needles, but I have read a lot of articles about it over the years, and I am giving myself a fairly big pat on the back because I did actually think I had enough to realize that I'd need a different approach than usual. Between the thickness of the thread and the fact that now I'd be sewing through several layers of treated luchador and printer fabric, I knew I needed a needle that would really hold up to that. So I used a jeans denim needle that has a fairly big eye in it, and it worked like a dream. I didn't have any problems with the thread. I didn't have any problems with anything going through anywhere. I mean, it really, it, the, the sewing part of that went very smoothly. However, because the needle was bigger, I knew it was going to leave pretty big holes in the luchador and printer fabric, so there was going to be no reverse sewing going on. Whatever I did would have to stay there for better or for worse. You know, there was, it was just, there was no second guessing, nothing. Once I started that needle, it was going. So I had to kind of either know what I was doing or I had to just decide it wasn't going to matter and I'd live with whatever I did. So I decided the latter. <laughs> it wasn't going to matter and I would just live with whatever happened. So I had a few leftover strips of the treated luchador and canvas, so I did have some practice pieces to work on. I played around with some different stitches, and at that point I decided a zigzag was the way to go, played a few more times, decide what width and stitch length would get the feeling I wanted. And then another brief moment of brilliance, I actually wrote it down and stuck it on a post-it note on my sewing machine in case I got interrupted. Um, You know, how many times have you gotten your machine all set up just right and then something happens and you don't get back to it and all of a sudden you can't remember any of your settings and you have to figure it out again. So I now keep a pad of post-it notes near my sewing machine and as soon as I set something up, I write it down on that post-it note and slap it right onto the machine. Um, I've even got a little bit smarter and I've actually written down on that post-it note which project to 
to which those settings refer because yeah periodically you have a couple of different projects going so that's that's just another little helpful tip use your post-it notes okay so i was now ready to sew at this point the pats on the back come to a screeching halt because I tried to use some basting glue to hold everything down on the canvas. You see, I had no real other options. Pins would have left holes. I couldn't use any fusible because I really didn't want to put a hot iron anywhere near those treated photos. Um, The printed treasures probably would have been okay, but I had no idea what it was going to do to the gesso, so I just didn't want to mess with that. So I tried a basting glue and the basin glue did squat. Nothing stayed anywhere, and even worse, it left a little bit of a dark splotch on the untreated luchador that you can still see, because that untreated luchador is, is really kind of filament, so the, the basting glue kind of came right through it, which was, you know, a, a moment where I was saying, dang, dang that that happened. But in any case, I just had to rely on holding everything down with my hands while I was sewing it and eyeballing it to hope it was still straight. Um, I also had no way to guarantee a straight sewing line. I couldn't mark anything. There was nothing I could hold it against because of the the, um, size of the project. I really just had to visually keep the edge of that photo strip in a very particular place in the middle of a hole on my walking foot, which was not very easy to do. Um, I think I managed to get everything lined up pretty straight to each other, but I think if you look at it closely, it all kind of skews a little bit to the right. So (laughs) apparently I was just sitting at a bit of an angle or something. In any case, um, the other problem that happened is although I approached each corner carefully and tried to aim my zigs and zags just right to ease around that corner, it would occasionally bump off the line and I have some pretty wonky corners. But since this is an art quilt, I figure I'm just going to come up with some explanation as to why I had actually been very intentional about wonking off the edge, and it really has a deeper meaning that you just must not be artistically sophisticated enough to understand, and if I have to explain it to you, it takes all the mystery and profundity out of the artistic statement I was trying to make. So there, yeah. So anyway, I got everything stitched down. I liked the effect of the thick black thread, the zigzag stitch, and the artistically wonky corners. Um... And by the way, no stabilizer was necessary here because the canvas, the treated luchador, the printer fabric, everything was quite stiff enough that nothing further was needed. I also didn't put it together with the backing or batting at this point because I didn't want to be quilting. I was just embellishing here. Now, the next thing I had to do was teach myself how to couch. I've never actually couched thread before or couched yarn before, but I've read a couple of articles about it. And since I was only doing it in a straight line, I figured, well, it really can't be that hard. And again, I pulled out some of those practice scraps and a little bit of extra yarn. I took a couple of trial runs on it. It seemed to go pretty well, so I really went to town on the project, and I really liked it. It did go well. I I enjoyed couching. It was not that hard to do. Um, Again, I had to eyeball everything. There was no way to really attach the yarn to the printed gesso-treated luchador without leaving holes or goo all over the place. So I am a fan of couching. I will say that the the yarn tended to roll a little bit one side to the other. It would be a lot easier to do it on fabric where you can actually pin it down or somehow attach it before you're couching it. But I really did enjoy it. And again, I was just doing a straight line. I'd love to practice more with doing it in spirals and the, the other sorts of things you can do when you're couching. Now, 
if you're sitting here listening to me saying, what the heck is couching? Or if you only have the vaguest idea what couching is, basically what you're doing is a small zigzag stitch sort of back and forth across a piece of yarn to hold it in place. That's really all couching is. You can do it straight like I did. You can do it in any design you want. Spirals are pretty um, popular. I really like that effect. Um, The couching itself is often done with invisible thread, but I didn't have any on hand. And honestly, I don't really like working with it anyway. It's a little too stretchy and breaky for my taste. So I just found a thread that it blended really well with the yarn. So you can't really see that it's there. Um, I used a narrow zigzag, but a very long stitch so that the zigs and zags are placed pretty far from each other or else all you'd have seen was the thread. I also took one or two straight stitches right at the top and right at the bottom to lock the thread in. If you don't do that, you can just tug on one end of the thread and you're going to be able to pull the whole thing right out of the couching. And by the way, I don't take credit for that tip. I read it somewhere. I'm just simply proud of myself for remembering it when I needed to. Uh, So the, the couching went really well and it was fun to teach myself that one little thing. And so at this point, I had the front of the thing done. Now I'm on to step three, the finishing. All that was left to do was the borders and the quilting. Now, a couple of months ago, I'd bought several colorways of the new Stonehenge fabric line that came out recently, because I really wanted to eventually play around with doing some landscape quilts. That Stonehenge stuff, check it out. It's got some wonderful, wonderful texture and pattern to it. In fact, I believe it was in the most recent Hancock's of Paducah catalog, and I think all of their colorways were in there, and I am hard-pressed not to buy every one of them, because it just beautiful, beautiful stuff. I'm highly recommending it. Um, I had one that worked beautifully with the photo, so I used that as the border. Now, don't ask me if you look at the photo of my project, which I will post with the other ones. um, I did decide to make the side borders narrower than the top and bottom borders. I don't know why. It just told me it needed to be that way, so (laughs) I listened to it. Um, I've never done uneven borders before, and it was kind of a, a fun thing to monkey around with a little bit. The only thing now with hindsight expertise working that perhaps I should have planned ahead for a little bit more is how much distance there was between the extreme edges of the photo pieces on the canvas and the yarn embellishments and where those border seams would hit. Um, I ended up coming dang close to cutting off parts of the photo strips and I did sew the ends of the yarn into the border. Now I knew that was probably going to happen and thought I'd be okay with it but when it was done I don't know, it just suddenly looked kind of static to me somehow. I lost the sense of movement that had been building with all the the playing of the various lines I did. So I took my stiletto and I did the best I could to to tease the ends of the yarn back out of the border. And it was partially successful. But it would probably feel better if that yarn really extended into the border and all of the pieces. And I, I had thought about that at one point along the line. I had thought, do I really make these very long pieces of yarn, let it go into the border? Um, but I decided against it. And now that I'm looking at it finished, I'm thinking, you know, kind of first thought, best thought thing. I probably should have done that. Although who knows if I had done that, I might have looked at it and thought, well, that stinks. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know. You can always dream up the most perfect response in your head. Um once I had the backing and batting, and which, by the way, they were both scraps, yay for stash busting. Uh, once I had those put on, I machine quilted the lines in the photo, and I decided not to machine quilt anything else. Um, partially, to be honest, by now it was 9 p.m. on Monday night, and the challenge deadline was midnight. I was really trying to stick to the same rules I'd made everybody else live by. But I also really couldn't decide what else I'd have quilted. I did 
the diagonal lines is basically what I really emphasized on my machine quilting. Um, I'm not sure what else I would have quilted. I could have simply outlined quilted around each of the photo pieces to give it a little more definition, but I didn't have any thread that wouldn't be visible, and I really didn't want to detract from that black zigzag, so I decided not to do that. And I couldn't really think of, of what else to do. So I decided just kind of leave it as was. Um, again, I had learned a lot from the project, and that was the purpose of the project for me, so I, I wasn't sweating that. But I do think there's probably something else I really could have done there. So the project's done. And although I love the process and I had a complete blast doing it, I'm left thinking there's something missing. I can't quite put my finger on it. I'm definitely not asking for advice, however, since one, I'm not really planning on going back to do anything more on this project. And two, it's a really kind of a personal thing in this case. I'm not sure it's the kind of thing I could get ideas from other people on. It's more of a gut reaction. Um, I did have a brief thought of using a fabric pen and doing something on the canvas background that's a little bit more curly or swirly to counterbalance all the straight lines but to be honest I'm really terrible at drawing so I'm not convinced that that would be my best way to go um, and yes I am terrible at drawing that's not unpracticed at drawing that's that's actually I'm not particularly good at drawing I have practiced a lot and I just have problems with it um, uh, yeah okay I could probably be practiced more maybe I'd at least get workable we'll see but anyway I'll hang this up on a wall somewhere and see if something eventually comes to me I really, really hope in all of this that seeing Virginia and Francis's and Lynn's and my response to this photo will inspire you as well. Uh, between the four of us, we've shown you four very different ways that someone can use a single photo as inspiration in a quilt. And you know what? That's just freaking cool. I loved doing this. And so, yep, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to post another photo for another creativity challenge this week. Only this time... I'm going to give you a little more time. I'm thinking, you know, a few of you did respond that you would have liked to have done it. You just didn't have enough time. So I'm going to give you a little more time. I'm going to give you all summer this time to decide how you're inspired. Um, I'm still debating tonight which photo I'm going to post. There's there's one that's really tugging at me, but I don't know if it would be entirely fair. Um, it popped up on my desktop. I have a, a software program that pulls photos randomly from my online photo album, Fanfare album and pops them up as a desktop wallpaper and I have it set so it changes every week windows or I'm sorry it changes every hour so when I'm working during the day you know I've got my windows all open I'll shut them down to to go get at something else and there's a different photo there it's really kind of fun um, but this one photo that I'd forgotten I ever even took popped up on my desktop and it's it's a really amusing photo <laughs> and and when I saw it I immediately thought oh there's a photo for a creativity challenge but then I thought it might be kind of mean um, it would be a little bit tricky but I think it would also be fun so I'm kind of talking myself into using that one just because I'm really curious to see what people would do with it so the deadline for this creativity challenge isn't until after Labor Day I'll come up with a more specific date later on but that gives you three months you got June July and August all the rest of the rules are the same. You don't have to do anything in particular. You can use this photo as an inspiration in other projects you're already doing. Um, I'm not putting any limits on size or anything like that. You do whatever you are called to do. It just has to be inspired in some way by this photo. And when you send me your response, you just need to, you know, just give me a clue if it's not, especially if it's not obvious how the, your project was inspired by this photo. 
Um, and, you know, invite your friends to participate, too. You are more than welcome to get people in your guild or other friends to participate in the Creativity Challenge, even if they're not podcast listeners. They can enter. Um, they can send me photos of their projects and get their names entered in the drawing. And, you know, that would be fair, too. I don't care. You know, you don't have to be a listener to play and win. <laughs> so I just want to encourage people to have fun and to explore their creative side. So, um by the end of this week, I will have a photo posted, and um, I will come up with an actual specific date for the challenge. And uh, other than that, you know the rules of the game, and you can have fun with them. So, that being said, um, I'm going to have a great time this weekend on my shop hop, and wish me luck actually getting to all the stores that are involved, and wish me luck in convincing everybody else in my car that, yes, we do occasionally have to stop for the bathroom, and we have to eat at some point. And for the rest of you, I hope you have a great weekend, have some fun times with your sewing machine, with your rotary cutter, with your fabrics. Definitely go pet your fabrics right now. After you're done listening to this episode, run to your fabric stash and spend some time petting it because that just restores all of our souls. Remember, you can post comments about the show on http colon slashy slashy quilter.podbean.com or you can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com sandy with a y quilts with a z you can join us in big tent the quiltcast supergroup you can visit my blog or you can follow me on twitter and let me follow you and all of those things you can find links to on the quilter.podbean.com site so until the next episode go get your quilty on Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. 